Hi, I'm Ken Trember. Welcome to the KT University podcast. The podcasts are designed to tackle subjects relevant to construction, uh, fabrication, cleaning and painting, both commercial and industrial. Today's topic is measuring surface profile. We're going to discuss a couple different methods for measuring profile and some of the complications that might occur when using both on the same job. My guests today are Bill Corbett and John Todd. Bill, I understand you're going to be addressing the digital uh, profile reading yes. equipment. And John, you'll be doing the replica tape. Uh, Bill is very active in ASTM D146. They're the committee that develops the standards for measuring surface profile. And John is active in the NACE committees that develop their standard practices for profile. Before we begin, I just want to mention to those who are listening and not viewing this, there's going to be a lot of hands-on demonstration. Now, while both Bill and John will be discussing what they're doing and, and kind of walking through the steps verbally, it might help for you to eventually log on to ktauniversity.com to actually look at the podcast to see the instruments in use. Now, before we begin, guys, to set the stage for, for those who are listening, if you can describe briefly how these instruments are used. Uh, Bill, I'd like to be in with you on the uh, digital equipment. Sure. sure. The uh, digital depth micrometers conform to ASTM D4417 method B. There's a method A, which is a visual comparator, there's a method B, which is a depth micrometer, and then method C is the replica tape. Uh, these particular devices or gauges conform to uh, method B. We have the surface profile gauge manufactured by DeFelsco Corporation and then we have the alcometer 224. Both gauges have a 60 degree cone-shaped point at the base of the instrument. The theory is, is that the base of the instrument would rest on the peaks of the profile while the 60 degree cone-shaped point would protrude down into the valleys of the profile. So we'd simply power up the gauge. We want to verify zero using a float glass plate that is provided with the gauges. After we verify zero, we'd place the gauge on the prepared blast clean surface and take a series of measurements. And both gauges work similarly. Now, but I see that was reading in tenths of a mil. Is that common for both instruments? Yes. Tenths yes. of a mil. And do they also read in microns? They read in microns. Uh, you can set up the gauge to read in mils or microns ahead of time. Okay, great. John, could you explain the replica tape? Sure. The replica tape, uh, in this case here, we have Testex Coarse, Testex Extra Coarse, and Extra Coarse Plus. And the three different types of tape the, signifies what range of uh, profile that they can measure in. The course measures anywhere between uh, point oh, I'm sorry, 0 0.8 to 2.5 mils. The extra course goes from 1.5 to 4.5 mils. And then the extra course plus is above the 4.5 to about 5 mils. You want to make sure that you select the right type of tape based on the profile to make sure that there's a, enough compressible material there uh, to fill in the gaps, but also not so much that it actually releases. So I, I can go into more detail on that later. You also will need to have a rounded burnishing tool. And I, I can show you how this goes by sampling the, uh, or using the extra course plus. You simply take the tape off, apply it to the surface, 
and then use the, the rounded end of the burnishing tool to press down on the tape itself. And what this is doing is this is compressing the compressible foam, and, but it is, the compressible foam is protected by a uh, two mil mylar, which is non-compressible film on top of it. And I'm making sure that I press down on this to sufficiently compress the foam to get a replica of the, uh, the profile underneath. Once I take this foam and the tape, I can take it with the uh, spring micrometer. This one here, I want to make sure that it is reading zero with the anvils closed. And I will take the reading on it in the center of the area, look at the reading, and then I would subtract two to deduct for the mylar film. Now in this case, the reading would be two and a half, uh, two and a half mils on the profile. So that would be acceptable in this range. And the reason I'm saying in the range here is because the, as I mentioned earlier, the um, coarse test text tape and the extra coarse have uh, different ranges that they read in. And there is an overlap area between the two. The purpose of the overlap between the two is that the low end of the extra coarse is not as accurate, and the high end of the course would not be as accurate either. They're both very accurate in the middle of those ranges, but not on the tail ends. So you would read, you would, in that case, you would take an extra course and a course reading, add them together, and divide by two to figure out your reading. John, let me ask you a couple questions there. You've mentioned some uh, thickness ranges. How do you memorize that, or is it right on the tape? Well, <laughs> thankfully, the test text tape has the ranges and they're color-coded to show the, the range. So the red and the purple here are the coarse, and then the blue and the purple is the extra coarse. And that overlap area is where you would need to take a reading from both the coarse and the extra coarse and average the two. OK, so uh, going to that overlap area, if I'm using the coarse tape and I'm to the left side of the overlap, my reading is good as is. That's correct. And if I'm using the extra course, I'm to the right side of the overlap, that reading's good as is. Correct. No matter which tape I use, if it's in the overlap, I must yep. take the other tape, take both readings, divide by two to get the, the reading. That's correct. And that would, the overlap would be between one and a half and two and a half mils. Okay. Now, you mentioned two mils of mylar that holds this uh, emulsion together. Uh, I see on your, your micrometer, you set it to zero and subtracted the two mils in your head. Is there another way to do that? Absolutely. So before, when you set it, to, you could see where it's set to zero. You could actually turn the dial back two mils to eight. And what this would do is automatic, it is, so you don't have to do the math yourself. It is subtracting the two mils for the mylar. And then when you would take the reading, you'd still do the same. You'd open it, press the tape in the center of the anvil, release it. And you, whatever the reading is then, it would be your actual reading, so you don't have to do the deduction through math. Okay. I see another micrometer in front of you. What, what is that? So this is the uh, linearizing gauge. Uh, the, the nice thing about this is that it, it's a smaller range. So the <coughs> spring micrometer I was using here goes from 0 to 50 mils. The linear is a, a tighter range. It's more in line with what the uh, surface profiles in the industry would, would see. The, convenience of this gauge is that when you use it, it actually deducts the mylar already. As long as you see here, there's a zero point, much like you would set the zero here on the other micrometer, you would use uh, this linearizing. It says zero. So you set so that the uh, gauge is reading there. 
And then same thing, you would put the tape inside of the anvil in the center and then release it and it would show you the reading uh, subtracting the mylar. But it also, there's a area here in the red. So in this case, I'm using extra coarse. If this reading were to be in the red, it would tell me I'm using the wrong type of Testex tape and mm. to use the coarse. So this would, and also using this, you don't have to do that overlap area because this shows you um, which film or which uh, which Testex tapes you should be using. Okay, I noticed that those are spring micrometers. Um, is there a risk of crushing this profile and using that? Well, when using the spring micrometers, there I mean there may be a very slight chance, but nothing to materially affect the readings. In fact, it may if it does compress it, it's a more of a rogue uh, point or you know, and this is an overall average. So uh, by doing by using this um, this anvil. It's not as precise as the point used on the digital micrometer, but it gives you an overall average. And it uh, seems to be more, um, I don't say accurate, but it, it, you're not taking as many readings. It's not as dependent on user deducing which, you know, which ones to keep, which ones mm -hmm. to not. So it would be uh, more reflective of the average. Okay, so crushing a few high peaks is not a problem necessarily. That's correct. <laughs> um, Bill, when you're using the, the depth micrometer, how many readings do you take? Well, actually, uh, according to ASTM, you're supposed to take 10 readings per area. And I know that sounds like a lot of readings, but because it's digitized, you can probably take 10 readings in, oh, 12 to 15 seconds or so. So when I have 10 readings in a, in a spot or in a location, uh, what do I do with those readings? How, how do I record the results? Well, currently, uh, ASTM D4417, method B, says to um, take the, the series of uh, 10 readings and then report the maximum for that area. And then, of course, you would be checking multiple areas across the structure uh, and then averaging the maximum values for all of those areas. Um, the key is with this instrument is it takes pinpoint measurements and you could have an unusually high peak or an unusually low valley and it, it, it can find that and, and the key is is to be able to recognize that you have an outlier. For example, you might get uh, a variety of readings between two and three mils and all of a sudden you get one reading that's six mils that doesn't match any of the others. We would consider that an outlier. You would throw that out. So the point is you might have to take 12 readings to get 10 good readings that you would then report the maximum on. So I report the maximum value of those 10. That's so if correct. I have two, two and a half, one, three, my answer is three. That's correct. Uh, is there another way to do that? The, the ASTM standard does allow, if contracting the parties agree, to average the values that you get. Um, so you would take 10 measurements and you would simply calculate the average and you wouldn't report the maximum. Uh, and you would do that for, for each set of readings. But both contracting parties have to agree the default is you would report the maximum value for each area. Now, I can understand with the replica tape, you record a value or two. In your case, 10 readings for each location, that's a lot of data to manage. I and mean, how do you handle that? Yeah, yeah, it is a, it is a lot of readings. Um, but the nice thing is, again, you have a, a data collection device that's connected to a probe here. Uh, so, uh, of course, it has the ability to record the measurements automatically uh, in a memory, and you can assign a batch to that, and it can give you all kinds of statistical analysis like standard deviation, uh, minimum, maximum values, number of readings you've taken. 
uh, and, and the average, of course, as well. Okay, so John, I understand in each location, Bill's taking 10 readings. How many tapes do you use in a given location? So according to the ASTM standard, you should take at least two for each area. Two in each area. That's correct. All right, now let's assume that I'm in that <coughs> overlap. Do I have to now take four, since uh, I do two in the overlap area? Effectively, yes, because you have to take the two readings for each and then average of those two. Oh, okay. <coughs> so potentially four pieces of tape in a given spot. That's correct. Um, so what are the advantages of using the, the replica tape? So there's a few advantages. Um, one, it becomes a, a permanent uh, record. I mean, you have a something you can actually, it's tangible, you can hold it, you can take this and actually attach it to your report so that it's, uh, uh, it becomes part of the, of the record. Um, also, I mentioned earlier about some of the interpretation between the digital gauges and you know, the highs, the lows, which ones are erroneous readings and such. This sort of takes that away from it by using the overall average. Um, and, th and there's plenty of other things that were, you know, new technology that we're using with this, uh, with this tape that we can you know, learn more about the surface profile, peak density, those sorts of things. Mm. Okay. Uh, now, Bill, John makes a compelling case for a permanent record. I can see attaching that to a report as long as you don't crush it in a book, <coughs> being able to access it in the future. Do you have permanent records like that? Yeah, I guess uh, going back several years, one of the uh, limitations to using a, uh, a gauge with a, uh, a cone shape or conical shape point on the bottom is they were all analog. So you had to write down every reading you took and then that would become your permanent record. Uh, now, because these are digital, of course, we can dump all of our readings into memory and we can uh, upload that to a spreadsheet, we can uh, download it to a printer, uh, and we can even upload the data to a cloud-based server, so it's, it's a very permanent record. And I argue in this case is we don't have to worry about, you know, preserving that compressible foam that may get crushed or may expand over time because of temperature limitations. We've got a, you know, a, a paper. Uh, permanent record of it. Well, John made a comment that uh, with his tape or the replica tape, you don't have to make a lot. Of, the user doesn't have to make a lot of decisions. For example, is this reading an outlier or is it not? Um, it seems to make a good point to me. What, what, do, you, what do you have to say to that? <clears throat> well, I guess um, when you're identifying outliers, uh, it really isn't as difficult as it may sound because you're looking for obvious outliers. You're looking for uh, a single data point that doesn't match the others. In fact, when I'm giving training classes on using this type of equipment, what I'll usually tell people is, go ahead, get your 10 readings, write them down, or put them into memory, and then scan through them. And if you see one or two that are not like any of the others, replace them. Um, and, and it's much easier to identify outliers after you have a full data set versus trying to figure out what an outlier is as you're getting your measurements. Mm. Okay. John, I see you have another gauge that looks oh. sort of like the gauge Bill has here for the depth micrometer. It looks very similar. What, what is that all about? Well, it, it uses the same uh, body on top of the probe on the different is called an RTR, which is the replica tape reader. So much to uh, Bill's point of having a digital record of it, you can take the test text tape and measure it using the RTR and, and actually you know, take this tape and convert it to a digital record that could also be incorporated to a digital report or cloud-based server or print out the readings as well. Hmm, interesting. Well, yeah. it sounds, Bill, to me that the replica tape with that reader uh, almost like the best of both worlds. Yeah, you know, there's, there's advantages and limitations to, to, to any of this equipment. Um, 
you know, the, you, you have an, an expendable there. You know, the replica tape, you know, currently it's, it's running about 70 cents, maybe 75 cents for each piece. And that doesn't sound like a lot. But if you end up in the one and a half to two and a half mil overlap zone that John was talking about, um, you know, you're going to be using four pieces of tape for every area that you check uh, because duplicate measurements plus being in the overlap zone. So now for every area you're consuming about three dollars uh, worth, worth of tape. Let's say you're going to check ten areas across a prepared surface. You've gone through thirty dollars uh, $30 worth of uh, replica tape per area. You know with the digital micrometers once you purchase the gauge there is no expendable items at all. Um, and, and in fact you can increase the number of readings uh, with the, the depth micrometer if need be because ASTM says to take a minimum of 10 readings per area. But every time you want to double check your work with that, you're consuming another 70 or mm -hmm. 75 cents. Uh, so, but there are limitations with these gauges. If there, for some reason the user drags the gauge, and I'll simulate that here, if they were to drag it across the surface, versus picking it up and putting it down each time, you would dull the stylus, and so you're going to get false low readings because you've kind of rounded that tip. Uh, now, th the tips can be replaced. It's a pretty uh, economical uh, replacement to do that if it does become damaged. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's important to pick the gauge up and, and put it down each time and not drag it. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, with proper use, you'll, you'll get it calibrated annually, and we can verify that it's uh, working properly on the zero glass plate that comes with the gauge. You know, it really can, can operate quite nicely for years. And the other thing that's important to remember is a lot of times uh, inspectors need to hang on with one hand. So the advantage of this gauge is it's one hand operation. You can hang on with the other hand to make sure you don't lose your balance uh, with the replica tape pretty much have to use both hands in order to get the, the measurements. You said a couple things that are of interest to me. One is, he said, if you drag the gauge across the surface, you could dull the tip. Earlier on, you said you verify the accuracy putting this gauge on plate glass. I won't know that that tip is rounded or sharp on a plate glass. I, I can't, I, I don't correct. think I will. That's correct. <laughs> so what, how do I know when it's too rounded? Yeah, what I would recommend in that case, it's a great question, um, is I would I'd re recommend looking at it under a magnification uh, versus a new tip, and you'll be able to see the slight roundness to it. Mm, okay. But to the, to the unaided eye, you probably would not be able to determine that. I was just thinking as you're talking, maybe we could even have a plate or something that has a given profile on it you could use as your control to periodically check or something like that. Yes, the, the, the Felsco folks make a, uh, a horseshoe-shaped shim, um, but again, it's going to be placed on the glass, so it's just determining is the gap right. there. I'm not sure that it's going to be able to detect whether the probe has been rounded or not. Okay. Hey, you said another thing. Uh, you said calibrate and verify accuracy. Can you explain the difference between those two? Sure. Uh, and, and those terms are used interchangeably all the time, and ASTM uh, makes a clear-cut difference between the two terms. Calibration is performed by the gauge manufacturer, uh, an accredited calibration laboratory, or an authorized service center, and typically that's an annual check of the device 
uh, against a traceable standard to make sure that it's maintaining its accuracy and a certificate of conformance is, is supplied uh, along with a, a calibration due date st sticker typically. So that's something that's done on an annual basis and it's done by, by an authorized uh, agency or the manufacturer where verification of accuracy should be done prior to each use. Okay. And that's done by, by, by the person using the gauge. In this case, it's done on a, on a glass plate, perhaps even with the, the horseshoe shim here. So verification of accuracy is what you do in the field. Calibration is a lab or manufacturer or something. Correct. John, you mentioned earlier something about uh, peak density, I think you said. What, can you explain a little bit what you were talking about? Sure. So peak density is the measurement of peaks per square centimeter of an area. <coughs> and what, that, um, what replica tape actually allows the user to do is measure peak density in the field using rugged field equipment. Typically, it's not, you're not able to measure peak density unless you have some uh, very specialized lab equipment. And of course, that's not practical in the field to, if you're measuring a, a girder on a bridge or inside of a tank, something along those lines. So with the um, Testex tape and uh, the special probe that you can, um, uh, another probe that you can use actually measures and can capture, like almost in a 3D image if you're using the, the, the proper equipment, the peak density, you can count it and actually render an image. Hmm. Yes. So right now we're measuring profile in the future. Who knows, we may be getting into peak density as well as an inspection criteria. That's correct. Interesting. All right, you both done a great job explaining how to use the instruments in a given location <coughs> to take, take a, a single reading. But uh, Bill, I guess I'll ask you, how many readings do I take in an entire tank or a bridge or what have you? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. And and we were actually uh, in trouble for a few years uh, on that on that issue because ASTM did a great job of telling us how many readings to take per area. But what they didn't tell us is how many areas to check on the job. So it was very much up to the individual. Uh, project manager or inspector on the job, unless of course the specification gave you a specific frequency, which was rare, uh, folks probably assumed it's in ASTM, it's in the ASTM standard. So about five or six years ago, SSPC, Society for Protective Coatings, uh, actually uh, created, uh, balloted, and approved a standard, it's called SSPC PA17. And it's a procedure for determining whether or not your profile measurements that you take actually conform to the specification requirements. And it can be surface profile requirements uh, or surface roughness requirements, or like John was talking about, either peak density or peak count measurements. It addresses all of those things. Um, but basically, uh, you know, that could be an entire podcast in, in itself. Uh, but, but basically, it references ASTM D4417 for how to take the measurements and also how many measurements to take per area. But when it comes to how many areas, basically what they say is, is to check a minimum of three six inch by six inch locations per work shift or 12 hour period, whichever is shorter. And that's a minimum now. And so if you think about it, there's a lot of factors that it can affect surface profile, but the biggest is the size of the abrasive. So as long as the contractor is using the same size abrasive throughout the work shift, things shouldn't change a whole lot. So this number, these number of areas that they, that they recommend or, or specify as the standard uh, is probably sufficient. Although again, you can take more. Uh, and the average of all those areas has to meet specification. 
And if it doesn't, if you have a bad area, uh, then the, the uh, PA 17 standard gives us a procedure for determining the magnitude of that non-conforming mm -hmm. area. Okay. All right, we've been talking blast cleaning, and Bill, you mentioned blast cleaning. Uh, John, let me ask you, a lot of times we'll, we see specs for power tool cleaning to bare metal or commercial grade power tool cleaning. Um, can we use the, and it's usually a one mil minimum profile <coughs> with the power tools. Can we use the replica tape on that? So according to the standards, no, because SSPC, SP11, and 15, um, as well as the ASTM standard, both reference using method B, which is what Bill was showing with the uh, digital um, um, depth micrometer. Uh, the NACE standard SP0287 does not even address the use of replica tape for power tool. Mm. Uh, I know they've been doing some research. Is there a chance that might be allowed in the future build? You know? yeah, yeah, John's correct. Uh, currently, uh, Method B says that the only uh, uh, procedure, I'm sorry, the STM standard says that Method B is the only uh, procedure you can use on power tool clean steel, and of course that, that's the depth micrometer. Um, but there's been some, some recent research that was published uh, at the SSPC conference in 2018 that suggests that replica tape may be able to be used on power tool clean steel, but the standard doesn't recognize that yet. The, the ASTM standard as, as well as the SP11 and SP15 uh, power tool cleaning standards from SSPC both still reference uh, only the depth micrometer. Okay. All right, my last question. You guys have done a great job uh, theoretically or tell us how to use the instruments. Now here's a real world question. Let's assume we're on a job site and the specification says the profile should be uh, two to four mils. And uh, the contractor, John, comes with replica tape. Bill, the owner, comes with the depth micrometer. Mm -hmm. John, I'll start with you. Do you expect the readings to be similar between those two measurement techniques? I, I, I would say they're similar, but there, there's a good chance that they would be different just because of the different methods being used. Hmm. Bill, do you agree that they'd be different? Yeah, or? I would suspect they would be different. Uh, what we have to remember is we're, we're measuring surface profile using two different, uh, two different methods. Uh, the replica tape is taking an image over about a 3 8 inch diameter circle, the test area that John described earlier, and kind of averaging that where the, the digital depth micrometer is taking pinpoint measurements. You know, that, that you're, the, the stylus is going down into a valley and the base of the instrument, which is probably, I'm estimating about three quarter inch diameter, is sitting on you know, arguably hundreds of peaks. And so you're getting a pinpoint measurement versus an, an average measurement. Uh, the, 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 the values are going to likely uh, be different. John, do you think uh, we got this dispute, which one would be correct? Mm -hmm. Who would? <laughs> Well, it's, it's difficult. You can't say one's more correct than the other. It would have to go back to which method is required by the specification or the standard. I mean, when you, again, comparing apples and oranges, um, between the two, I guess in my experience, um, the digital depth micrometer has been a lower, pro or lower profile compared to the surface, um, uh, the test text tape, the replica mm -hmm. tape. But uh, I'd say you, you have to be using the same method, the same type of equipment to, to measure it, otherwise you, you can't say one's right over the other. So you're saying both could be right, both could be wrong. Potentially. Uh, interesting. Uh, Bill, any way we can overcome that? Or? Well, uh, I mean, w there's a couple of ways. First of all, really it should be addressed by the specification. You know, 
good, thorough specifications are going to say measure in accordance with ASTM D4417 method A, method B, or method C, whichever the specification writer wants, so that all parties on the job are using the same method. Um, let's say that's missed though, and it just references the ASTM standard because the specification writer is unaware that there's three different methods uh, embodied in that, that's, that single standard. Uh, it's something to bring up during the pre-construction conference. Get everybody on the same page uh, because when there are differences and one set of values is within specification and one set of values is out, then we begin mm. uh, the arguing process. Interesting. Wow, a lot of information. Mm. Uh, do either of you have any closing comments or remarks? Nothing comes to mind for me, no. Yeah, I guess um, the, the key is is that Recognizing you can get different measurements with different devices. Um, for years, the depth micrometers were uh, not very popular because of the analog scale and very, very difficult to use. Uh, but now that they've become digitized and uh, the price of the replica tape is going up, now we've got an overlap zone we have to deal with in some cases between one and a half and two and a half mils where we have to start figuring out if we have to take additional measurements. Um, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if more people are going to start, you know, shifting towards uh, the digital method. But it's it's good to have uh, agreement up front as to which is going to be used on a on a single job. Good, thank you. Yep. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and summarize sort of what I heard uh, during this podcast. Because a few things, uh, starting from the beginning, we're not calibrating the gauge in the field. We're verifying the accuracy. So the use of the word calibration for what the inspector or person does when they're using it is really the wrong term. It's verifying accuracy. Uh, the depth micrometer is good for both blast clean steel and power tool clean steel. But right now, the way the standards are written, the, the uh, replica tape can only be used on the blast clean steel, although that might be changing. The depth micrometer, we're going to take 10 readings per location, throw out the outliers, and you can either average them together or use the highest reading. The, the ASTM standard prefers the highest of those 10 to be the profile. But upon mutual agreement with the parties, you can average those uh, 10 together. You can store that data permanently for statistical analysis. One hand operation, which is nice if you're holding on to a, a ladder or something. And you can't drag the probe across the surface, though, to get a reading, which I've seen people use that and they have a tendency to do that, to watch that dial fluctuate or watch the uh, uh, digital fluctuate, but you really can't do that and should not do that. And it gives you readings in tenths of a mil. For the replica tape, there are uh, spring-loaded micrometers. You can't use the screw-type micrometer. It's got to be these light spring-loaded micrometers. There are a couple different types available. No matter what you do, you have to make sure you take into account that two mils of mylar so you're not reading it, it as if it is profile. It has to be removed from that reading uh, by any, any number of ways. There are two uh, tapes used per test location, but if you're in that overlap between the course and the extra course, you'll have to use two tapes, one of each, to get one of those two readings. So conceivably, in each location, you may have four tapes being used. So at a minimum, it's two to four. Uh, it also serves as a permanent record. It can be expensive, 70 or 75 cents per piece. Does take two hands to use. And there may be potential wear if you don't rub it enough or you pick up dirt or dust or something that you read as a profile. 
The replica tape reader for the uh, tape is a digital reading of the profile that can be stored electronically, which is nice, and it can also determine peak density. You will get differences in readings in the same spot. The depth micrometer looks at individual valleys that it's reading, whereas the Testex tape uh, uses a larger area to kind of average those peaks and valleys together. So there will be differences. The way to get around it right now is to specify the specific method that is used, method A, B, or C uh, in the specification. Uh, in terms of the frequency of measurements, SSPCPA17 will give you those uh, frequency, and basically it's three six-inch by six-inch locations per work done that shift or 12 hours, whichever is less. So that's it for this podcast. Please log, log on to ktuniversity.com for other podcasts and other technical articles related to uh, cleaning and painting. Thank you.